0: Uh, So this morning's scripture is from Mark 7, 24 to 30. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, Did he just call her a dog? I mean, how's that work? Um, we're going to, we need to talk about that, get to that. Spoiler alert. It's actually something that's uh, profoundly beautiful going on here. Um, but I want to hit the pause button real quick and um, uh, say, Mary and Calvin are here today. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to call you guys up or do anything like this. I'm already, you know, but they are here. Guys, we've been praying for the, their family for the last several weeks. And I got to say, they came in, they happened to sit next to me, and I almost lost it. <laughs> and we were singing, How Great Is Our God? And we're just sitting here. So for those of you guys who don't know the story, uh, baby Lucas was born a couple of months early. And we, we were pretty you know, scared there for a little bit. Not only for baby, but for mommy. And the Lord has graciously um, been bringing them through that. Um, Lucas is still not out of the woods, so we need to be praying for them. But can we pause and... Thank God and pray for their family. Would that be okay? For those of you guys who are comfortable doing this, let's just extend a hand in their direction. Um, we'll, we'll pray for them. Also, I want to pray for Marcel. He, he just, uh, we've been praying for him the last few weeks, a uh, uh, guy who usually sits in the back there, 80-year-old, um, he's been having a little bit more heart trouble this week, but he's in great spirits, and he's just trusting the Lord with all this. so we'll pray for him as well. But if, if you, if you com- feel comfortable, extend an arm towards Marion and Kelvin. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, you've just been answering prayers that we've been praying in this very room and in our homes and in the community for this family. Thank you for this family, the blessing, gift, the light that they are to so many. Thank you so much that Lucas was born healthy and safe, that you've protected Marion, that she's healthy and safe. Uh, Lord, uh, they're still in need of healing and, and your provision, your care. Would you extend that to them? Uh, in even greater proportions now. And would you, as we've been praying, would you help Lucas not only grow uh, physically and well, but grow into uh, a man after your own heart, that he would grow to put his faith in you at a young age. Um, Bless their family now. And then, Father, we pray for Marcel as well. Uh, You know, with the call this morning that he had a rough week, but he's in, in great spirits. Would you just be with him? Would you heal his body? He's a physician uh, for many, many decades, but you're the great physician. Would you heal his body? Um, we love you, Father. We, we we thank you for all the ways you take care of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so where were we? Yeah, Jesus calls this woman a dog, or at least implies it. So what do we do with that? Um, you, know, you know what's really interesting to me? Uh, I was sitting there studying this text this week, and it all of a sudden dawned on me, oh my goodness, uh, you know, the, the timing here is, is pretty interesting because of all the stuff that's happening in the news right now in our country with immigration, refugees, the travel ban, all of that stuff. Here is, as we've been moving our way through Mark, here we come to Mark 7, and it's the story of Jesus and a foreigner. Uh, this woman, a foreigner, and we're going to talk about what that means and what that looks like. And, and we need to understand, uh, I, I, I don't see it as coincidence, coincidence that God has us here thinking about this as a church and as individuals. Um, So we're gonna be looking at what does this story show us about Jesus' love uh, for the foreigner uh, in this text, and we're gonna be pulling out uh, three things uh, as I've organized them together, and that is one, uh, the expanse of God's love, two, the objective of God's love, and then three, the depth of God's love. We see the expanse, the objective, and the depth of God's love in this story. So number one, the expanse of God's love. So uh, just read the, the, the few verses here again. Starting here at the top, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know about it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, real quickly, um, why is he keeping his presence secret? What's going on there? Uh, We don't know for sure. But what biblical scholars tell us is that it probably has to do with the, the intensity of opposition that's just been kind of rising for Jesus. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the Pharisees, the, the, the um, religious leaders, really coming after Jesus. Remember, hey, how come your disciples aren't cleaning your hands before? They're, they're eating food. Like, that's the, that's the traditions we hold to. That's what you got to do. That's what will make them clean. And Jesus came out swinging. said, you hypocrites. And he starts quoting scripture back at them. Guys, it's not about cleaning the outside. It's on the inside. It's about the heart. And we know, actually, if you've been here from, the, from many weeks back, in Mark 3, that they had already been planning how they might kill Jesus. And so everything's just kind of rising in intensity. So the best thought we have here, uh, not only based on the Scripture, but other little, little clues here and there in the, in the text, is that Jesus is just trying to lay low for a little bit because uh, um, people are literally trying to kill him. Uh, but, so as soon as she heard about him, this is verse 25, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, here's some interesting uh, details that I think are worth kind of pausing and thinking about. Uh, even before we get into this interaction with, with Jesus, between this Jesus and this woman. Number one is the location of where they are. It says they went to the vicinity of Tyre. I tried to put a map together. Uh, there were not a lot of great maps, so please bear with me as you squint and look at this. This is, of course, a picture of Israel. On the left there is the Mediterranean Sea. Those two blobs of blue are, are the uh, Dead Sea in the south and then the Sea of Galilee uh, up there uh, towards the north. Jesus did, he focused his ministry on basically that little line that connects them. That is the, the, the River Jordan. And he would go around the lake. As you know, he's been getting in the lake and going to the other side. That was on the Sea of Galilee up there on the top. Jerusalem is just near, it's basically near the, the, the northern tip of the Dead Sea. So he just kind of would continue to do rounds uh, between those two. Tyre, on the other hand, is actually not even on this map. And I looked very hard to get a map with Tyre on there. Um, it's, it's basically, it's on the coast with the Mediterranean Sea up right towards the tip of where the, uh, the screen runs out, and like a little couple clicks above that. And I thought, okay, I can't find a map of Tyre there. It's like so far out of the way. And I realized that's actually the point. Tyre's way out of the way. Uh, it was probably at least 50 miles by foot for traveling, maybe even upwards to 100 miles. Uh, so real far out of Jesus' way. And I, I had a little fun with this. I, this week I, I put it into Google Maps And I did, you know, modern-day Capernaum, which is the Sea of Galilee there, and and modern-day Tyre. And uh, I I hit, you know, how long it takes. And by car, it takes six and a half hours, which is obviously not a direct shot. Um, And it's actually filled with very uh, conflict-tense countries. To do that, you actually, there's no great straight shot. You have to do kind of a, you know, a a reverse clock work there. You have to go from Israel through Jordan Syria, and then finally in Lebanon. It's like, okay, I see why that takes six and a half hours, minimum. And you know what's interesting is I feel like that's emblematic of what Jesus was dealing with back then, because it's not like today's conflict is just like, whoop, there it is. I didn't even plan to do that, gee. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) get back on topic. Um, So that tension that is still there today is rooted in millennia. length of of conflict, Uh, duration of conflict. It is long that the conflict that is there today, which is intense. I mean, even this week, there's some scary stuff happening there. Uh, Very scary stuff happening there actually. Uh, It's it's been going on since long before Jesus was there. And this is the area Jesus was traveling through. Traveling to. That's one one little description that's worth noting. And then the other one is what what Mark kind of highlights here in verse 26 is really the the description of the woman. Uh, He really kind of spends time kind of drawing it out for us. He says, the the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. So Greek, we're told, is not a matter of ethnicity. Uh, That's not what they're saying. It actually has to do with her religion. So it's talking about how she was a pagan worshiper. And so for Gentiles back, uh, excuse me, for, for the Jews back then, that would have, they used the word Greek and this word Gentile kind of synonymously to basically say spiritually unclean. That was their way of saying the other spiritually unclean people. And then the other thought here is Syrian Phoenicia. Uh, Josephus wrote uh, history. He's probably our first modern historian. Uh, he wrote a history of the time back then, and he said, quote, uh, the, um, the Jews and Syrian Phoenicians were mortal enemies at this time, mortal enemies. And so to summarize this for us, first of all, she's a woman, which, remember, this is first century Palestine. So according to Jewish custom, guys didn't really hang out, let alone a rabbi with just one gal, one-on-one. Uh, it, uh, rabbis or any Jewish folks didn't go, uh, go into a house of a Gentile let alone spend much time with them. And then the fact that she's Syrian-Phoenician, like the moral enemy, like that's like three exclamation marks on everything we're talking about. This is just an intense situation. And what J- does Jesus do? He engages. He listens. And ultimately, he loves her. We're going to have to talk about how that plays out with the, with the details of the story. But he engages, he listens, and he loves her. What does that tell us about God's kingdom, about his love, is it is global. It is global. Jesus went out of his way in so many respects to love this person. God's kingdom, God's love knows no boundaries. It knows no social barriers. It loves. And, you know, Jesus, in in deliberately going out of his way to love this gal, uh, is really practicing what he preaches, uh, one of his most famous stories he shares, and in, in, it's recorded in the book of Luke, uh, a, a teacher of the law comes up to him and says, Jesus, what, uh, you know, I understand that loving my neighbor is what this is all about. Please tell me, who's my neighbor? Which is just such an awesome question, because you know what's going on in that guy's heart. He's just trying to figure out, like, just tell me who I have to love. Just give me the parameters, and I'll do that, check that box, and, and I'll be good before God. And Jesus, knowing the heart behind that question, does what Jesus does. Classic. He launches into story. He says, there is this guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. What he's doing real quickly is he's building the tension. He's like, this is a fellow Jewish person, Jewish audience. There's a guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was robbed on the way, beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest came alongside, and, you know, you'd think that this guy would stop and help. He didn't. He actually crossed the other side of the road and walked on by. And then a Levite came by. And a Levite, that was the, that was the tribe of Israel that was basically uh, given the task of taking care of God's children. He walked by, and he crossed the street and kept going. And then Jesus said there was a Samaritan of course, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan came by, and what did he do? And immediately with, Jewish, uh, with Jesus' audience, uh, all the folks there, this teacher of the law, uh, those children of Israel, they would have been thinking, a Samaritan? Where's Jesus going with this? These guys aren't of us. We are, we are in conflict with these guys. By the way, not as bad as Syrian Phoenicians, which is worth mentioning. They're kind of like in-betweener, but we don't associate with those people. They're unclean. Jesus said, a Samaritan came by, And listen to this how it's, I was rereading this to prepare it for today. Here's how the text says it. The Samaritan came where the man was on the side of the road. And then he repeats it in the very next verse. This is Luke 10, verse 34 now. He went to him and bandaged him, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, gave a couple of silver coins, and said, Hey, to the innkeeper, please take care of this guy. And if it accrues any more expense, I'm coming back and I'll reimburse you for anything. Take care of this guy. And then Jesus concludes the matter of saying, who's the neighbor to this man? Of course, the answer at that point is obvious. But what Jesus is saying is, who is our neighbor? It's the person who goes to the man, went to him. Our neighbor is not just who's physically around us. It's becoming a neighbor to the people God's put in our lives. Regardless, by the way, of ideological uh, views, political, lifestyle, religious. All of those things, a Samaritan would have been completely different than the Jewish people. And yet Jesus is saying, that's your example. And here in this story, Jesus is practicing what he preaches. Not even just going to a Samaritan. He's going to a Syrian Phoenician. And he's going out of his, he's not just loving her; he's going out of his way to love her. You know, we read texts like these, and I think we think, oh, that's a nice story. That's cool. Uh, You know, interesting Um, but Jesus here in this text is absolutely changing the game. He's destroying the game. He's saying, guys, you got to love without boundaries in all these senses. God's God's love uh, knows no bounds. It's global, and so I just want to pause and ask, who is someone in your life or who are people in your life that you can love? And not just love, by the way. You can find a way to go out of your way, to love, regardless of how they see things socially, religiously, ideologically, politically. Um, you know, I, I, we live in an area, I love Silicon Valley, we live in an area, uh, you know, where there's a lot of people right now based on the, the news events who are, impacted by this this is, we we draw the nations here i love that but there's a lot of people impacted by all that's happening in our nation right now and i know this because i've been hearing stories and i've been getting in conversations those of you who work at google and apple you guys had that big uh, email blast that sent out to you guys and said and, and it said to everybody, guys, you got to be careful in traveling right now. And I've been, you know, some of you, even this last week, were saying, yeah, I've got friends. Who, I, they don't know what to do. Their family's here. We're here. We, we what does this mean for my career? What's this mean for my livelihood? There's a lot of fear going on. Um, how do we love? There's a lot of Christian organizations right now who are trying to, figu- who are trying to figure out. We've been trying to bring families together uh, that are, are suffering and vulnerable, and we are not being able to figure this out. Real quickly, I'm not trying to be political here. Uh, if you've been here with us, especially the day after this last election, um, I, my, that's not my goal. And frankly, as a pastor, I, like, that's just not my heart. Jesus said, uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet, there are causes that I think Jesus talks about that we need to champion and love and lift up. And so what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Because first of all, wherever you are, whatever side of the political aisle you are on, does that, does that mean praying for our leadership right now? Uh, both sides of leadership, one, does that mean praying for them? Because it, you know, the naive way to think of this is just, oh, well, you know, they don't have it figured out, and we, we should just do this. But, the rea- but I also think on the other side, compassion and security can coexist and so can we be praying for them and engaging in our own personal lives what that means and to press this a little bit further and then then we'll move on here what does it mean for you to love the person who's not like you or doesn't see things the way you are um because chances are maybe you're thinking hey you know, folks who are living in fear right now, yeah, I need to love them. and I just need to be, I need to be more motivated. I need to see them and I need to love them. Good, that's, that's good. But perhaps if that's you, you also need to be able to love the person who sits on the other side of the political aisle. That's the gospel response. That's what we're supposed to do as the church. And by the way, am I saying we need to see eye to eye with folks? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm, what I'm saying is the cause of Christ does not divide, does not tear down. It builds up and unites around love, uh, regardless of social barriers or physical or or whatever it might be. So here's the thing. I I read a text like this, and, you know, all these factors. Jesus going to tire. This thing about the dog, we'll get to that in a second. I think this text is to make us, I think the intent, the spirit of this text is to actually make us a little uncomfortable. And I'm reading that, I'm like, yeah, man, I need to think about how do I love folks, even go out of my way to love folks who aren't like me or see things like I do. Directly in conversation or, by the way, indirectly. I think it's about social media in that sense. It's real easy to just kind of not love others as we, as we faithfully uh, try to uh, seek God in all of this. So that's, that's the expanse of God's love. It knows no boundary. It's global. Number two, the objective of God's love. Uh, Jesus went out of his way to Tyre. We see he engages with this gal. She begged him to drive the demon out of her daughter Verse 27, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she said, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. uh, gone. Um, So, yeah. Jesus implies that she's a dog. There's, there's that. Uh, what, what's going on there? Um, you know, it's interesting. I was looking into, you know, kind of trying to understand the, the scholarship behind uh, this. And it's so many people try to explain it, explain it away by saying, oh, you know, Jesus, dogs are actually a good thing. You know, they're a little cuddly and, you know, they're, they're humble. And there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of these biblical scholars are like, so it's actually it's a good thing Jesus is calling her a dog. That's okay. And I'm just like, come on now. And then there's others who are, are saying, uh, you know, actually in the Greek, which this is originally, you know, translated from the Greek, uh, the word dog there is the diminutive form, meaning it's like the household pet version of the dog, not those like ravenous, you know, like scavenging dogs, it's the house pet. And so therefore it's not, you know, it's not as bad was like, okay. It, first of all, it is the diminutive form, it is the household pet, so there is that. But really, does that like remove The the tension, I mean, I I don't think so. So what's going on? I mean, I think one high-level thought is, to me, this this just shows the authenticity of the scriptures, okay? Mark or the early church would have not kept this in the text had it not been true that Jesus said this. That's one thing. But here's what really struck me this week, is I think we need to see this text through the lens of Mark's original audience. Uh, Way back when we started the book of Mark, the original audience of the book of Mark are Christians in Rome. They're Christians in Rome. Matthew wrote to Christians in Jerusalem, and, and that sort of thing. Mark wrote to Christians in Rome. We know this. Um, and so, what would they have been thinking as they read this? Um, in other words, as they read about uh, unclean, this unclean Gentile, they would have been on the edges of their seat saying, oh my goodness, this is us. How does this play out? Um, Jesus says, first let the children eat all they want. He's making a theological point, a theological point of saying, you know what? The way God, going all the way back to the call of Abraham, the patriarch of, of the Israelites, God called out of Abraham a people to say, you know what? I need to really display my love and dispense my love, and I'm going to do it through you, Abraham, and your people. And so that's what he chose to do. Uh, problem was, going back to Genesis, the very beginning, all the way to Mark 7, the Israelites, God's chosen people, didn't always have a great track record of that. Didn't always do a good job. And yet, God is saying, I'm going to stay faithful with you. I'm going to keep coming after you. And by the way, here I am, Jesus is saying. I'm here for you. The uh, New Testament affirms this. Paul, writing to, by the way, the Romans, this is in the book, the, the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, first for the Jew. He affirms that. This is how, this makes sense. Theologically, in terms of God's promises, this makes sense. But then comes the astonishing thought, Paul goes on to say, and then for the Gentiles. The salvation, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for all, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. And what he's saying there is not, oh, and they get second fiddle, these Gentiles. He's saying, and they are included. You guys are included. That's the force of what he's saying. And you know what? This This gal picks up on that. Jesus says, first, let the little children eat all they want. First? There's room there. There's room there. Jesus, first? You're saying that there's some abundance here? And I claim that is what she's doing. And Jesus erupts in his response. The, the account of Matthew, same story. Jesus says, oh, what faith. Go home, your daughters healed you. He says, oh, what faith. What he's saying is, there it is. That's what I've been at for after. And it is just amazing to me to think about what's going on here in the book of Mark for the very first time through a Syrian Phoenician woman. Nobody else has had the faith like her nobody else the religious leaders last week they didn't get it they didn't get it jesus we know better don't tell us how what, how to approach god son of god don't don't do that we know how to do it you got to clean you got to do just no. of the heart his own disciples same text last week jesus are you sure it's got to be about that right we got to clean ourselves got and he said what did he say to them are you so dull you guys have been hanging out with me this whole time they don't get it. And here is the woman who has no right of getting it, gets it complete. And Jesus is like, for the first time, there it is. Do you see it? That's what I've been after. It's the heart. What does she do? What is it that she shows us in terms of what God is after, in terms of, uh, in terms of our faith? She comes to Jesus on his terms. She's the first person who's not just hearing but never perceiving. She perceives. She understands. She's not thrown by the dog comment. She actually comes back. Her first word is Lord. That's interesting. Lord. And what does she do? She says, you know what? Let me come at it from this angle. uh, And bear with me for a second. Is she a dog in the sense of being spiritually unclean? Uh, Are we all, especially considering what we talked about last week, clean, unclean, spiritually unclean in this sense? Yes. Yes. And what she's doing in entering this parable with Jesus is she is saying, Jesus, you are absolutely right. I don't deserve what you've come to give. I am unworthy, but I desperately need you. And Jesus is saying, there it is. There it is. And you know what made, uh, that, that thought, I've never saw this text in light of what's just happened in the last chapter but oh my goodness, how do you approach God? This makes me think about how I approach God. Do you approach God like the Pharisees, the disciples, or this gal? The Pharisees come at, God, we know better. It's a sense of entitlement. It might even mean by, you. so we talked about this last week. This come in, could come very easily in forms of religion. It could come in forms of, you know, religion and career. Like, oh, I just got to earn my way. I don't have time for you. God, I don't need to think about you. Or I don't, no, I, it's not worth the time. Do we approach God in the sense of stubbornness? That's the disciples, I would think. They have all the pieces. They've seen time and time again God show show up through Jesus, and they're just, I don't know, Jesus, I can't try. I don't know. Or do we approach God like this, the faith of the Syrian, Syrian Phoenician gal in great humility but in joyful confidence? Um. You remember, uh, what's his name? Uh, the governor of Minnesota, the first like He's like a wrestler. Jesse the body and true. You remember that guy? Um, I remember in an interview, he was once asked, or he's, I forget the question, but he basically said, I would never be a Christian. Christianity is for the weak. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh my goodness. He's got that half right. Christianity is for the weak. But in our weakness, that's the humility part, we are made strong in God's power. And that's the, that's the joyful confidence. So yeah, there is a part of the heart where we approach God on his terms. He's saying, look, do you guys have it all figured out? No, no, that's the point. We don't, we desperately need you. That's what God is after. Um, so how do you approach God? That's the objective. This woman is showing us for the first time in the book of Mark that this is what God is really after, a heart that says, you know what? I'm gonna come to you, God, Father, on the greatest need that we all have, and that is we desperately need your grace. We desperately need your grace. Finally, we see here the depth of God's love. Uh, again, did this woman deserve God's love through Jesus? Do any of us deserve God's love through Jesus? At the end of the day, the answer to that is no, not really. And if you remember last week, we were talking about this in terms of the religious leaders. And I talked about the high priest of Joshua, who even on the day of atonement, that is the holiest of days in the the Jewish calendar, he'd come, he'd sacrifice for the sins of all the people after cleansing himself for a week, after wearing perfectly white linen robes. God says at the end of the day, actually before me, the high priest on the most holy of days after cleansing himself, what he's wearing is actually filthy rags. In a sense, he's actually saying, you know what? Nobody deserves the bread at the table. Uh, And that's the gospel. The gospel is true justice is nobody deserves salvation. But on the cross, Jesus took what we all deserve. If God the Father has set a table for us, a feast, there's only one who deserves to be at that feast. Only one who deserves to be at that table. That's Jesus. The rest of us deserve to be cast out without even breadcrumbs. And yet the gospel is Jesus was cast out, that we might be brought in. That's the gospel. That's the love. Jesus carried us to the table. And so what does this mean in terms of loving the foreigner? The gospel is we are all foreigners. There are so many places in the Old Testament says, love the foreigner for you once were foreigners. And when he's talking to the Israelites, he doesn't say just love the foreigners, it's a good thing to do. You were once foreigners, First of all, Abraham, he came from this place called Ur, modern-day Iraq, and he was transported to Israel, and that became their land. So he's an immigrant. But love, the foreigner, for you are foreigners, is often a reference to them coming out of Egypt. You guys were over there, and now you're over here. I think that has some implications for us in our country. But you know what? The gospel takes that a hundredfold further, and that is all of us are foreigners here anywhere we live. Because in Jesus, we have a new citizenship. It says in John, Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Everyone who receives him, believes him, all become a child of God. In Ephesians 2, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God, through Jesus, carried us to the table. Unmerited, unconditional, bottomless love and grace. And we need to be figuring out how to extend that to others because we don't deserve it to begin with. If we or you thinking about this are, you know, of the privileged set, if I can say it that way, you're not living in fear right now. How can you use this to go out of your way to love folks who are living in fear? Regardless of religion, regardless of, so, you know, social status, whatever it might be, religious, lifestyle. If you are one who is living uh, in fear, uh, even you can find your faith in, in God because you know that your citizenship is in Heaven. And that you know he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you, and you can even let your light his light shine through you, even go through hard things, um, Because after all, Christ carried us to the table, so let's extend that love to others. It's not easy. It's nuanced. You're going to have to figure out what it looks like for you. But how can we, like Jesus, love those around us who might not see eye to eye? Let's pray. Father, we pause and take time to pray for refugees and immigrants in and outside our country who are experiencing great fear. We know that throughout Scripture, God, you invite your people to care for immigrants and foreigners as you first modeled for us. Here in this text, we want to continue that. Father, we're even reminded of Jesus alongside Mary and Joseph when you were here. You were fleeing Egypt to escape Herod. The story of refugees fleeing violence is part of our faith, our heritage, and narrative. Is a part of your journey, Jesus. We 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 pray today that you would be present with refugees and immigrants. You know what it's like to migrate, leave everything, and cross a border, Father. That's what you've done for us. Jesus, teach us what it means to be the church in this season. Teach us how to resist fear and to trust in your power, sovereignty, and care, and teach us to respond to those in need with compassion, love, and hospitality. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.